Welcome to Tell Me More. This week, Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation about Genesis 1. Yeah, we're still there. But there are a lot of good things to say and read in Genesis 1, and we hope you'll stay tuned for this conversation. We are here in the studio back again. Uh, talking about Genesis 1. And Dr. Miles, there's just a lot we can talk about here. <laughs> I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, you just read it and be done, right? I mean, no, nobody ever talks about Genesis 1. I think I'm the first one to actually unpack it. I don't think anyone has ever <laughs> asked a question about this text or debated it in oh, any way. Man, that's right. Well, you know, I, I, it, I uh, as you and I were talking right before this started, just the... So, so how do you tell the story and get from nothing to something. How, how do you tell that story? How did ancient people reckon it? The Jews are ancient people, and they're they're awash in ancient civilizations, depending mm-hmm. on when you think Genesis was written. And there's all kinds of arguments about, was Moses the author of it? Was it written, as we've discussed a little bit, and during the Babylonian captivity? Some people think that's when it happened. But regardless of when it's written, you're hundreds of years before Christ. So we're, we're in the, I mean, we're in antiquity here, with multiple levels of superstition. It makes the New Testament look recent <laughs> by comparison. Right. It, it is, is 2,000 years old. <laughs> and so, you know, you're reaching so far back into history. And and then not only that, you're, you're you know, if you're, if you're writing about any time prior to Abraham, well, then you're in primeval history where there's really not any written corroboration for you. Right. So how do you explain this, you know, how, what we experience, this this reality? I mean, you could even, you could probably just spend all your time trying to explain humanity, much less the cosmos, you know, just, just how do we, how do we get here? How do we function? So the whole conversation about how it all happened, it's a, it's a, it, it was just as puzzling and I think controversial maybe or intriguing as it is now. I mean, here, think about today, we're sitting here. As you know, Luke, you used to live in Alabama as well. I mean, I moved here from Huntsville, Alabama. Well, you have this massive um, um, infrastructure in Huntsville, Alabama connected to NASA and this whole idea of space exploration. And just think about, I have no idea, and, and I'm not opposed to it, certainly, certainly wasn't while I was living there, but how many billions of dollars have been invested in the cosmos? You know, just, right. just think about it. Just, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't know if we even know. There's just so much interest, you know, it, right now, you know, with the, these massive telescopes and continuing to launch, you know, these satellites and studying it all. I mean, hum, human beings are intrigued by it. And uh, we so, are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think we could easily spend hours talking about the relationship of science mm-hmm. and Genesis 1 and what that means for our faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the short end of it, I read this book once about ornithology, which sounds like I'm going okay. very far afield here. <laughs> I was about to say, awesome. <laughs> but there was a chapter, and it was titled, We Used to Think, But Now We Know. And it was basically talking about how scientists continually say this kind of line of, well, we used to think, but now we know. Okay. Um, and so this ornithologist's mom is telling him, as he's talking about these new discoveries they're making in birds, mm-hmm. um, you guys are always saying this. Like, we used to think, but now we know. So when are, when are you just going to make up your minds? 
<laughs> when are you going to admit that you don't actually know? Right. Stop saying we used to think, but now we know because you don't. Right. Could say we used to think and now we think. Right. <laughs> and that's where the author ends up going. So we used to think these things, but now we think this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that sums up a lot of scientific advancement mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. hundred years alone, mm-hmm. 10 years alone, mm-hmm. Yeah, is where that part is under continual revision because we used to think, yeah. but and now, now we, know. we know. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? And, you know, I think that um, when I look at um, at the Genesis account, there, there are a lot of things that I love about it. Um, I love the uh, the simplicity of Genesis 1. It's it's just, and I don't mean it's simple in its thought. It's just simplistic in its expression, you know. I mean, it's taken all of this and placed it in the span of a week. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me, you know, that um, in in a week's time, here's what's happened. And it puts it in language that's accessible to us, I guess is what I would say, which I think is part of its beauty. And then, and then the whole imagery of, of going from chaos and emptiness and darkness to order and fullness and light, that, that captivates me as much as anything, that there's just this progressive um, story as the, as the creation unfolds guided by the hand of God. And that, that's to me is, is the heart of this whole thing. Um, because, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm not, as I mentioned Sunday morning, I'm not afraid of science. Why, why would I be afraid of science? I mean, science is exploring truth. <laughs> as Christians, why would we, we ever be afraid of truth? You know? Right. I mean, so that's not it. I think that the more, the challenge comes more from the the idea that that everything can just be explained from a naturalist perspective. That's probably to me where the real challenge is, not scientific inquiry. It's it's what I would say is potentially a blind spot of some scientists. It's where they just automatically discount something, which if you think about it, really goes against the very nature of scientific inquiry. You know, you, you right. leave your options open, you know. And so that's really where I part ways with with that community. But I'm I love the the exploration, the inquiry. And and you know, when I was in Huntsville, what was fascinating to me was so many of these rocket scientists, physicists, if you will, were all very committed Christians. Yes. There's, there's, <laughs> there were there's no discrepancy between their faith and their and their job and their work. No. Because they were theistic in their approach. But they were not afraid to question how. You know, and I think that maybe is where the challenge is for us. We get you know, we get so caught up in the how and then, but the core question is why, I think. And then that leads me to who. <laughs> so I think Christians shouldn't be afraid of Genesis 1. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of the science that's that's even, if you want to call it, attacked it or, or you know, analyze it in such a way that questions its veracity, those kinds of things. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me really. Because I think it can withstand all of that. Because again, I'm a theist. You know, obviously I believe in God. So that to me is the underpinning of it all. Right. You know? So well, I think when we've felt like Genesis is under threat from science, it's yeah. probably because we have tried to make Genesis play by the rules of mm-hmm. scientific inquiry. Yeah. And really, those are two just wildly different, mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better word, games. Right. I mean, 
Genesis is not even asking the same questions. Mm -hmm. It's not playing by the same rules mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. the scientific method mm -hmm. or the development of science. Mm -hmm. They're just, yeah, they're just diverse, which is okay. There are plenty of, I would say, examples where they're complementary, you know, and if you broaden the field of science to look at archaeology and some of those things, you know, well, there's there's a lot of corroborative work that's been done archaeologically um, that at least um, complements what unfolds in the scripture. I, I'm always a little bit leery of the word prove. I think that's where we get, where we might be cautious. People want science to prove our faith, if you will. And well, that's, again, playing by a different yeah, set of yeah, rules. Right. I mean, faith is faith, you know, but it's not blind faith. I mean, no. these stories do make sense. There really is a Bethlehem. There really is a, a Nazareth. You know what I mean? There really is a Jericho. I mean, it's unlike, uh, don't mean this necessarily disparagingly, but, but it would give me pause intellectually. You know, you read the Book of Mormon, which I've read uh, in pieces. I haven't read the entire book, but I've read a good bit of it. You know, these massive battles, you know, in North America, and there's just no archaeological evidence for it. Well, just intellectually for me, and I'm not attacking that. Um, it's a challenge. But it's hard for me. I read it, and I think, wow, it's interesting. Whereas, you know, I'm reading the Scripture, and at least these communities, civilizations have been corroborated, you know, even further. So there's that. But, man, when you reach so far back in antiquity and you want proof, well, then, you know— <laughs> I mean, maybe that, that says something. Complicated. Maybe it says something about us, you know, about our faith. Even, um, I, I, I would rather focus on just the heart of God, the mm. beauty of the design, the love that's poured into the cosmos. If you can think of it that way, that that to me is the beauty of this story. You yes. know that this is not some pagan god who's won some battle. You know, and you know. Um, like Marduk, who we've read about, you mm -hmm. know, when he splits open the carcass of the dead god and divides the, you know, right. all of the creation into the heavens and the earth. I mean, that's just not what we have. The Bible opens very peacefully. I love that. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And to me, God is calm and he's in no hurry and um, he's in charge. He's um, He's designing, he's creating. I mean, what a... That sounds like God to me. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and I think you've said before, too, and I think it's such a great thing to remind ourselves of, is that if you are making a, lit a literal word-for-word, -word, whatever that means to you, right. interpretation, interpretation of Genesis, right. the bedrock of your faith, right. you've probably misplaced what you're putting at the heart of what you believe, mm -hmm. which ultimately should be Jesus mm -hmm. and what Jesus did mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So don't necessarily make a reading of Genesis 1 mm -hmm. the very cornerstone of everything you believe. Right. Um, yeah, because there, there's enough there to me to, um, like I said, to offer light to your faith. Um, but you're reaching so far back into history Searching for proof, you know, just like trying to find Noah's Ark. I don't, I don't have a problem with people trying to find Noah's Ark. It is what it is. But I still believe the story. I believe that God judged his creation. You know, that also sounds like God to me. And, and I don't mean that I love the judgment side of God. I just mean that God looks at sin differently than we do. Mm. And, you know, he 
he pronounces judgment. I mean, my goodness, look at the cross. I mean, to me, the flood, some people look at the flood and say, what kind of God would do that? Well, I'm, I'm thinking, well, look at what humanity's done and think about what God had to do to answer it. Well, look at the cross. So, you know, that, that sounds like God. It's judgment, but there's life, there's hope, there's redemption in it. And, and that story captivated the New Testament theologians. You know, they talked about it, you know, um, and as, as a reminder of God's redeeming work, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's the beauty of Genesis. It's just got this, it's, it's this, a, an account of God's love for his creation, brought it all into being. He does it peacefully. <laughs> You know, orderly, yeah, yes. graciously, orderly, um, and he de- and and when you look at it, it's teeming with life. Well, that that just to me, that's the God I know. So I can take a, a you know a, a microscope and look at look at life, and then I can look at the expanse of the cosmos, and all these gases are interacting with each other, and new stars are being you know created, and you know what I mean. And it's and like it's amazing, yes. And I think, well, you know what that. That sounds like God to me, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think when we look for the why and the purpose and the meaning of all this, I think it's what's beautiful. And I think, too, for our our younger people who are in that era of shaping their faith and all that, um, I guess we all are in that, but you know what I mean? You're, I think when you're younger, you're trying to sort some of this out. There's nothing wrong with turning on as many lights as you can to help you find your way, you know, right. and just see. So I'm not afraid to, you know, just like um, um, I was, I was reading an interview with Stephen Hawking. You know, here's this brilliant theoretical physicist, you know, and pronounced atheist. Everybody knows that about him. But I remember before he died, someone that said something to him about, you know, you have really advanced the cause of atheism. I, I forgot how they worded the question. But anyway, he finally just said, look, I'm not, I'm not, you're misunderstanding me. That's not the point for me. He said, I'm not even saying there's not a God, if that's what you think. He said, I do believe there's something underneath all of this. I just don't think it's God. I don't think it's this personal being that you have constructed. I think it's the theory of everything. You know, some, my, my whole life it has been a quest. Well, I appreciate that honesty. In other words, he didn't act like, well, everything just kind of happened. There's no there's no reason to explain it. There's nothing underneath it that, you know, is some kind of force, if you want to call it that. But he just didn't believe in God. And so even someone as brilliant as he was, who was looking at it from a naturalist perspective, even had to pause occasionally and go, you know, this is this is majestic. There's somewhere in here, there's a theory that's going to explain all of this, you know? Yeah, they're still searching. <laughs> yeah. And so I just appreciate the honesty in, in, in with, with men like him, even if he comes to a completely different conclusion. It doesn't bother me f- for students and others to read and to listen and try to sort through it all. You know, you're... You're shaping your faith. You need to come to grips with some of this. Um, and I think the Bible is strong enough. I do too. It's truth, strong enough to withstand it. You know, yeah. I always think smarter people than me believe this. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, like Francis Collins, you know, I read his journey into faith or, or C.S. Lewis's journey into David faith. David Brooks. Yeah, David Brooks. Yeah, I love David Brooks. I, I read these stories of some of these brilliant thoughtful people who just have this encounter with God and changes everything. But Francis Collins didn't surrender. He, he didn't hang up his, you know, research license. Right. <laughs> you know, he continued this incredible, he's mapping the human genome, for goodness sakes. You know, <laughs> I mean, um, head of the National Institutes of Health. I mean, this is right. a brilliant scientist. 
but to him, Christianity is the explanation for it all. So yeah, I love that. And yeah. I, I think you've landed on something that's apologetically important and um, that at the end of the day, you have to choose an explanation for why there's something instead of nothing. Right. And so on the naturalist side, they either say that this we have something instead of nothing because it's just random mm-hmm. and it is the way it is mm-hmm. and this is it. Right. Or this is the fulfillment of something like Stephen Hawking would say mm-hmm. of some mathematical principles and right. the necessity that they bring about. Mm-hmm. Either way, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's either random. It just is. Mm-hmm. It exists because it exists. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. It doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're a person who wants meaning to really be a possibility in your life, the alternative is theism. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is not necessarily a direct argument for Christianity right. explicitly. Sure. But, but it opens the door. It opens the door. Mm-hmm. And you say that something exists instead of nothing because God chose it to be so. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to find Christians and Muslims and Jews all share that okay, answer. That's right. Oh, yeah, sure. But it opens the door. It does. And it makes meaning a real possibility mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if there actually is intentionality and purpose mm-hmm. and this exists for a reason and you exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get to play your role in it, in this this huge drama if you want to call it that, this cosmic drama. Um, I love that. I love that 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 thinking of it with those options, because to me, that's a great place to begin. Because you, if you're a thinking person, at some point in your life, you you do have to address that question. And I think we all do. Why? Why does all this exist? You know, why why is there something instead of nothing? And why do I know that? <laughs> That's an entirely different question. <laughs> you know, why, why do I have this self-awareness? You know, right? That's powerful to me, and I believe those are great starting points. I also think we, um, uh, you know, today we talked about this in my Bible study. Um, I think that what I'm hoping to lead our church in this year, in this journey in apologetics, is also a journey into a methodology and a tone that goes with the core mm. dif- argument, if you want to call it that, the core truth is a, maybe a better way to put it. Because, it, you know, like uh, Vance Havner, old evangelist that m- many of you have never heard of, he used, he used to be fond of saying your theology can be as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. Mm. And his point was you can have it right but if you don't live it well, and if you don't have the spirit of Christ, it, it it doesn't negate the truth, but it certainly minimizes your ability to share it in an effective way. And so to me, I want us this year to focus. That's why, to me, evangelism and apologetics go together. The idea of appeal, learning the tone of mm-hmm. how to share it, when to share it, to whom you share it with, why you would, and to recognize that that um, that reasoned middle is what I'm looking for. That that quieter space that's not on the extremes to where you're, nobody's yelling. You're actually trying to figure something out. That that space is hard to find. It is. <laughs> um, and so I want to somehow encourage, bless, facilitate, model for our church how to find that reasoned middle, if you want to call it that, that reasoned space. I don't I don't know what else to call it. That that third space, if you will, that's not so loud and angry and and argumentative and and bent on being right. 
but actually more on the journey of trying to make sure you're right, you know, and uh, and to and to have that softer edge. I think that I think that our when we encounter people, that's the image I have is our bodies that our bodies have flesh and muscle and all that. You don't just have a skeleton, and we encounter people that way. To me, that's the way apologetics ought to work. If you push me enough, you'll eventually get to my core. You will, like if you hug me. If you squeeze hard enough, you can feel that I do have a skeleton. But that's not what you feel, you know, if you come by and embrace me or shake my hand. You don't. That's not what you get. So why would I think that's what I should offer you in the very beginning of a conversation about faith? Why, why do I just open my skeleton up and almost just hit you over the head with it? Yeah. You know, you're not giving someone your bony elbow. Yeah. I mean, you can, but, and, and, you know, there are, I think probably there are some people that maybe, you know, maybe they're good at that and they have their place. I'm, I'm sure that's true, but I would say that's more the exception. The general rule to me is more of that. The I'm soft around the edges and I can, I can absorb a little shock of, <laughs> of hearing something that I know I don't agree with or I don't believe in, but I don't have to, uh, I don't have to react, you know, and, and, and be so repulsed by it that I do throw that elbow. I can absorb it a little bit and, hmm, and maybe even wonder, well, why, why? So just like in the ancient world, you got the Jews living at various times among whom the Philistines or maybe the Egyptians or maybe the Babylonians, I mean, pick, pick an ancient people. Okay. Well, there they are and they have a story well, all these other people have stories too, you know, and trying to f figure out what's the real Jewish story. What's the real mm -hmm. Jewish explanation of nothing to something, you know, and, and how does it square up? Why, why, why are all these um, um, ancient people, why are they sacrificing their children to these gods? Right. Why, are they, why, why do they get to have temples everywhere? And, and, and they can go see their, they can go see a manifestation of their gods. You know, I don't I don't know that you would say ancient people were duped enough to where they believed every every one of those was an actual God that it was more of a manifestation. It's just I guess it depends. And some may have that it'd be that superstitious, but you know what I mean. What what's led them to that and why is it we don't get to do that? You know, we right. we, we don't get to make those images <laughs> and carry them around and all that. Well, there's just something different about us. Well, what is it? Well, in the beginning <laughs> God created, <laughs> created everything. everything. And when he created us, he put his image in us. Well, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, My goodness, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it ever? Yeah. What a that's different, next week. <laughs> yeah. What a different story. And so, well, you talk about distinguishing them among ancient people. Yeah. Even, even if you fast forward to the New Testament era, they still are, I mean, it's like they stand alone, you know, in this um, in this theistic universe at the time with the Greeks and the Romans. And, and um, so here are the Jews still believing in this one God, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, he's revealed himself in a certain way. And um, I just, I love that. I, I love the fact that we have that example for us. Um, now the Jews didn't always live it out as well as they probably could have. Of course, we know that. But there were many the faithful... The Christians didn't yeah, always live yeah, it out as well exactly as we right. could have either. But there were some faithful Jews who tried to figure this out and live mm -hmm. it well and live it among the people. That's why I, th I think I loved some of the stories in the New Testament. You know, I, I love the story of Nicodemus. I, I, I look at Nicodemus and I think, okay, here's a guy who, you know, by all accounts, 
he has it all together. He's got the degree on the wall. He, he's the guy you go to to ask him, how did all this happen? What is all this? Why, why is God doing this? And Nicodemus was honest enough when he encounters all these stories about Jesus to stop and go, you know what? This, this just might be God. Right. <laughs> you know, this just may be what, as a matter of fact, my only explanation is God. So now granted, he comes to Jesus at night, you know, <laughs> I mean, who knows, probably covered and <laughs> <laughs> whatever, but at least he came. Yeah. And, and I love his honesty. He looks at Jesus and says, we know you you have to have come from God. I mean, you you, you can't do the things you're do, the things you're doing are signs of the kingdom. You right. He knew his Bible well enough to know this is a break in. You know, water turning into wine is <laughs> yes, a sign of, this is, of the of the yes, day of the Lord. Yes. So he's hearing all this. Well, I love that about Nicodemus. I, I that's what I want to encourage and bless among us to be open to what God's doing. But also to to recognize when that kind of thing is happening in other people, people are genuinely seeking good. Well, this engaged them just like Jesus did, engage them in a conversation. And um, so you think about it's so easy to say, well, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, whatever. Well, but Nicodemus, he he was a genuinely sincere, devoted follower of God. I think he saw his role there in Israel to lead these people to live this light, even in front of the Romans. Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, this guy mm -hmm. appears out of nowhere. Right. You know, when all of our guys are all huddled and <laughs> except for the women, but all our heroes are who knows where they are. But Joseph and Nicodemus show up and say, you know what, we'll 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 take the body. I mean, to Pilate. You know what uh, I mean? To, that's to, risky. Yes. To say, you know what? We're okay. We'll take Jesus. We'll take. I'll, I'll take him. I'll let him be bear of my family. Why? I mean, I think. My goodness, these were some godly people. So the Jews had some great representatives. You know, they really did. They did, and and I love that. And I think so. The Jews, many of them, handled this really well. And then that full revelation comes with Jesus, which changes everything. So I don't know. I think that. But think about it. They were schooled in this very text that we're reading. If you were to ask Nicodemus, how did all this come about? I can promise you Nicodemus would have said, well, in the beginning, you know, Elohim, who we would call Yahweh, created it all. That's where it all came from, you know. And here's the story of our people. This is this is how this happened. He believed it. And um, and he was living in a day of, you know, polytheism, pantheism. and um, Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? It was all around. Yeah. And, and completely surrounded with all these pagan temples. And so... So I think modern society is crazy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about how do I live that out today, well, what I still believe I can look at anyone just square in the face if they ask me, well, how did that's okay? How did all this happen? Um, and I think my answer would be, well, you know, in the beginning, God created all of this. Now, how He did that is is still very mysterious to me. But I can tell you this, there's a story on the first page of the Bible that has cadence and rhythm and beauty and majesty. And uh, kind of like um, uh, Kenneth Matthews says, it's doxological, it's praiseworthy, but it's didactic. It's teaching me that mm -hmm. God actually had order and form and structure. It's what he chose. And guess what? I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'm living in this creation. And I believe this creation works because I believe God's all behind it and God has put it in place. So it kind of rules out the whole accidental or incidental view. Um, I think it's, I think it has merit today, you know, and I do too. so, and it's beautiful. I love it. And so, and think about it in our journey so far as a church, at least for this year, um, we haven't even gotten to human beings yet. 
No. <laughs> I mean, the crowning achievement, the, the, you know, God's, where God's glory is going to be most on display. We haven't gotten there yet, and it's already really good. <laughs> it's about to get really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that story is going to take some interesting turns. Um, but I love, I love page one um, of the scripture, and and I and I think there's a reason why people return to it over and over and over and over. You know, we're drawn to it. You know, and um, it's got a majestic feel to it. You know, and and, I, and it's kind of got this. Um, this this march, this rhythm to it, that is in sync, I think, with how we how we want it to be. You know? mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I love it. So, and it was important to the rest of the biblical canon. I mm -hmm. mean, mm -hmm. Revelation picks up these themes. Oh man, yeah, it sets the stage for everything. Think about it. Just, John loved Genesis. He did, he did, and I love John. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons we've started, you know, with Genesis as John did, and so. And you think about John, the imagery of Genesis in John and in Revelation, it's obvious he's a fan of the book of Genesis, you know, and and of course the whole understanding of redemption, all that that we're going to get to in, you know, over these next few weeks here, all that's all that is found in Genesis, you know, and and it's the the beginnings, if you will, of a gospel conversation. That's where it all starts. So that's why it's so crucial to us, you know. So yeah. It's an exciting conversation, and I yep. <clears throat> just eagerly good. look forward to where it's going every week. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, so, thank you, Luke. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening, everyone. Mm -hmm. for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.